All right, welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. Uh, we are your hosts, Eric V. And Allie V. And uh, before we get into um, the guest tonight, I just wanted to remind people to check out our Patreon page, uh, which has been around probably for a while now, um, as well as, you know, think of it as the seventh tradition. And don't forget to leave something in the basket. Um, But besides the self-promotion of trying to, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Tonight we're joined by Ange. How are you doing today, Ange? (laughs) I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. How are you, Allie? Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm a little hot, but I'm alright. I understand. I'm in an attic right now, and I'm sweating. Like, oh, God. I have yeah. to turn the AC unit off, so it's like 80-something degrees and humid in here. Um, so, Ange... Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. It's, it's awful. Ange, how, um, where are you from? I'm from Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. West, yeah. Cool. And uh, when were you first introduced to recovery? My first meeting, I was 17, and yeah, my aunt brought me. I actually just put up an episode where I got to chat with my aunt, who wow. brought me. She's still sober 13 years, so thank God for her. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is your sobriety date? Um, June 18, 2019. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and uh, with all that out of the way, we'll turn it over to you to share your story with us. So uh, take it away. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I appreciate anybody carrying the message, but I also love talking and I love podcasts. So this is like super cool. Thank cool to hear other people's stories um, through your show as well. Yeah, today. I mean, honestly, I got to start in the today and I'm just trying to ride the roller coaster that is life right now. Like (laughs) it is up and down. My anxiety is killing me sometimes, but I'm still sober and I'm not going to pick up today. Absolutely. No matter what, just no matter what I'm not drinking. I don't think anybody's as excited as I am about my sobriety. You know what I'm saying? Like my Mm -hmm. family's proud of me. I'm so excited that I have this sustained recovery right now i've been trying to do this for a real real long time um yeah it's been a it's been a journey and i for me relapse is definitely a part of my story um but I'm tr- i like to try to flip the script on its head and start with what it's like now only because if you're if you're new or struggling and you're hearing this you already know that i have sobriety or i wouldn't be on the show well you can go ahead and assume that <laughs> that that's the case <laughs> And I just want to say that, like, where I'm at now is just so mind-boggling because I never thought I would be, I never thought I'd be here. Like, doing, I have a sober podcast. Like, what? Like, who? What? I used to just get fucked up and sit in the studio and make hip-hop albums. And, like, <laughs> now I'm, like, actually doing things to, like, better myself and better society. It's just crazy how recovery can change your mindset and the way that you go about living your life. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, like, for me, what it's like now is like I go to counseling. Um, I stay up with my friends and my sisters, and I actually call people today and check in on them. Um, people obviously now that they know I'm sober, they can ask me for more, and they have can have higher expectations of me, and those expectations 
don't scare me. I'm actually excited by that. Um, I stay up on my chores. I do dishes today. I brush my teeth. I floss them sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> these are miracles, people. Like <laughs> this is not stuff that when when I was drinking, using. I mean, I was lucky if I slept, let alone ate. You know, the dishes were not even on the list. And today, I, I mean, today alone, I took the trash out, did dishes, vacuumed, did the cat litter. Like I could like go, you know, and that didn't overwhelm me even a little bit. It was just stuff on a list that I had to make sure that I could do so that. I could feel good about myself and feel like I'm in a good spiritual place. Hmm. So I I feel like in this, um, I've strengthened my relationship with my fiance a lot. We've been, she was my high school sweetheart actually. And we broke up for like seven years and never thought, like never thought we'd be back together. My drinking was terrible. It was so bad and I've hurt her so many times and yet this program can do such incredible things. Like working a program can change everything like just everything my emotional regulation is on point uh it's all because of work though i don't just like wake up in the morning like yawn i'm so happy it's like i gotta turn stuff over all the time i go for walks a lot i pet my cat i have a cat now i never even thought i was like nah i'm not a cat person yeah my cat is the shit um and then i have weird other hobbies that have come up for me in recovery that i'm like like I collect playing cards, which sounds mad nerdy, and it is. Uh, <laughs> but I, but it's fun for me, and it's something that, like, you know, it's like I just never thought I would get into stuff like that. I never thought that I would have a podcast. Like I never thought I would be somebody that does my chores. It's just little things that I feel like I'm excelling. Like I'm living my best life today. Hmm. So to take it back to what it was like and, and what happened that got me here. You know, I don't, I don't want to fall too deeply into the hole that was my childhood, but it was real hard. And when I was four, my best friend died from cancer. And that, you know, that was like a tough start. And it just made me feel like I couldn't trust anybody to like be my friend for the long run. And actually a weird number of my friends have died. Like before I turned 16, I had nine friends die. I don't, I feel like that's kind of a rare, like I definitely haven't had a lot of people, and it's not from drugs or anything, like from random stuff. Um, so I feel like I've always kind of been close to death, but today I don't want to die. Like I don't see dying as a solution to my problems today. And that's a miracle too. Mm. I want to I actually tackle my problems head on and not be like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to drink till I'm dead then. You know, um, when I was little, I was, I'm the oldest of three, three girls. And my parents are both very special people. Um, and by special, I mean absolutely insane. <laughs> Obviously, I love them. They're my parents. You're not going to not love them, but it's real hard. I have to protect myself from them. Um, my mom has a lot of issues, and some of it might be from dealing with my dad. But basically, when I was like 11, my mom served my dad uh, the divorce papers and a restraining order at the same time. And even though me and my dad were really, really close, um, like I basically, our relationship was never the same. I don't think we ever really passed things back up. He was like a lawyer and a high school teacher. And after that, the restraining order situation, I mean, he, he like was breaking into our house and stuff and he's pretty much been in and out of jail since. And the thing is that even when I was little, everybody was like, you're so much like your dad, you're so much like your dad. 
And so now all this, all of a sudden the person I'm so much like is just this like criminal. Like he was, he became a raging alcoholic. You know, he, he struggles with mental illness and, you know, unfortunately today I have no idea where he is. He could be in jail for all I know right now. Um, I ended up having to get a relation, uh, restraining order against him myself, um, in my early twenties. So it, you know, it, alcohol really does change people and it makes people do like, like it just makes people act so far out of character. And because I've watched him struggle for so many years, he'll get clean for a little bit. But it, you know, but he can't really still have a relationship with his kids the way he wants. Or there's something that stays in his way and makes him feel like he's justified in drinking. So I, I have to be really careful because I know that since I am, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm so smart. And I'm so, it's like, yeah, but you don't want to be the smartest one in the detox. You know, you don't want to be this, like, it's like, cool, you're the smartest one in, in the AA meeting. Like, good for you you're like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't help me stay sober honestly like um so yeah like stuff with him was tough and my mom once the divorce was happening my mom kind of fell apart and mm. stopped eating and stopped taking care of herself and stopped taking care of her kids and as the oldest you know it's like i don't really have a choice it's like i just had to step up and do what needed to be done so i was helping I was helping more around the house than like even today when I think about what my childhood was like, it's like, I just wasn't a kid. I just had to be a grown up. And my youngest sister, well, I'm eight years older than her. So I basically was like her parent. And my other sister was like a little bit of a misfit, but I knew with her, I just needed to just keep an eye on her and try and help her be successful in school. And meanwhile, I was an overachiever. I played three sports a year, straight A student. Uh, like by high school, I was doing it. It was crazy. I was playing three sports. I had to lead in a musical, <laughs> which was nuts. And um, I was taking three AP classes my senior year. And I but I balled out too. I got a five on the history US AP test. Like I like I just pushed myself to the extreme. And for me, education was the key. Like I knew, no matter what, if I wanted to get out of my living situation with my mom because it did get real, 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 real bad. If I wanted to get out of that situation, I had to put education first and just continue. Like, I had the bootstraps thing was just in my brain. And I, it was like, i got to pull myself out of this. Um, you know, we didn't. We lived in some real trash neighborhoods. My city, my city struggled as a city. It's pretty poor. I actually now teach in the school I went to, hmm. um, which is a nice way to kind of pay things forward. But it's also kind of triggering because I did a lot of my using at school I would drink or smoke before school every single day just to get through it. And part of it was, again, with the, like, kind of that ego of, like, I'm so smart, I don't need to be normal for this. But really it was a coping thing. Like, I was so anxious and my home life was so shit that it was, like, like I, I just needed to escape. It was my source of freedom. It was my coping skill. It was my bestie, for real, my bestie. And as good of a kid as I was, like, once I found alcohol, it was all I really wanted to do. But I didn't have the freedom to just do that. I had to sneak out and why, and I'd take my mom's car when she was asleep and stuff. And I felt justified. I was like, well, I'm doing everything for her around the house. So, you know, and I'm, I have straight A's and I always take care of my sisters and I rake the lawn and mow it. And, you know, it was like all these reasons that I felt okay and just constantly drinking and using but I didn't drink normally from the get. 
um, when I was 11, there was a, <laughs> there was like a 4th of July party and I was just taking sips off my mom's beer every time she wasn't looking and somebody at the table was like, oh, we got a little alcoholic on our hands. And I was like, ha, 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 yeah. And then from that moment, I was like, you know, I got to be careful. <laughs> like, I got to be real, real careful. But the funny thing about that night is I was sitting inside. My mom's running around trying to get the girls together, get their shoes on and get them out the door. And she's just a chaotic mess. I mean, she, she but I was just sitting at the table, like, not giving a shit and not trying to help and not trying to enable her and just... And it was like the best feeling. I was like, I want to feel like this all the time. Like I want to not care all the time and not take on other people's responsibilities all the time. And I was, I mean, I was 11. So to feel like I had so much responsibility on me, I know for a fact that alcohol was my way out of that. And as my drinking progressed, basically I just threw up a lot. Honestly. Like I have no tolerance. <laughs> Um, but it just became about the chase, you know, obviously there's like harder drugs in there and that just continued to grow. And every single time it would get out of hand, I would like give it up for Lent. So I was raised like devout Catholic. Like I was like, I'm just going to not drink for Lent. Or I would like get a girlfriend or something and be like, you know, oh, she doesn't like how I act when I drink. So I'm going to not drink. And like my fiance now was, <laughs> was the main one who was like, you turn into a different person. You become a monster when you drink. So, you know, I knew I had issues with it. I just didn't understand to the extent. And for me, it just didn't seem like an option to, to not do it. As bad as it made me feel about myself, I felt worse if I was just sitting at home in the turmoil. Um, my mom liked to just randomly search my room and anything she would find would be a reason to keep me grounded for months at a time. Um, or just whatever it was that she like needed to leverage. And for me, it would be like, like the tiniest nug of weed. And I, I would have like two, two months grounding or something. So I, I get what, and as an adult now, I look at him like, I get like, if it's your kid, you, you obviously want to protect him. And, but our relationship was just so unique and so uniquely strained. And we'd been through so much. I just feel like, you know, I don't know. I can't blame anybody, you know, like it's a disease for sure. But I, um, yeah, I think she wanted me to not be like my dad. So it was like a big thing like that, like just to try and keep me out of the same, um, troubles that he fell into. So I got into a college far away, uh, went to school in Baltimore, Maryland, a place called Goucher College. And I just like blossomed, um, you know, I struggle a lot with gender identity. It's part of my story, a big part of my story. And there's this, in the DSM-5, they talk about gender dysphoria. And for females, what ends up happening is like, you know when you're like four that you're struggling with it. And then there's a period of assimilation that you go through during your preteens, during your, um, yeah, your teenage years, where you're like, fine, I'm just going to try and fit in as much as I can and like, so I was dressing like a girl, I straightened my hair, I was always wearing makeup, I was wearing tight clothes, and like, I was trying to fit in so bad with what society told me is what women did. And it was just, I constantly felt so far out of my skin, because it's just like, that's just not who I was. So when I went away to college, 
every semester my hair just got shorter and shorter like and my clothes got like I started to feel more comfortable in what I was wearing and the, and my mannerisms changed because I was like oh, I can finally be myself I'm so I'm far from home I'm far from my really Catholic upbringing I'm far from my from my mom and and my cousins and it's I can just be me and that turned out to like people liked me like who I actually was people liked it the issue is I was struggling so bad with my drinking and there's a period of time when I was dealing coke to every Dick, Sally, and Harry, or whoever the three people are that you usually use there. And it was just like, I was just a mess. I was not making good choices. But at the same time, always on Dean's list, always playing. I played um, D3 field hockey. I was a captain. I was in the musicals. I was in an acapella group. So I was like super involved on campus. And then my sophomore year, they made me an RA. And we were at our first meeting. And the head of public safety looked at me and he was like, what are you doing here? This is for freshmen. And I was like, oh, I'm the, I'm the RA of this storm now. And he was like, what? They made you the RA? You're the eye of the storm. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those things where like my realities weren't, weren't aligning. Um, my, my resume looked one way and the way I was acting on the weekends or, you know, just anytime I touched a drop of alcohol, my whole, my whole personality would change. And I knew it. Like, I knew it was an issue. So when I was around 20, 21, um, I started going to meetings again. And I was like, I need to, like, I need to do something. This is not, I'm not doing good. I got a couple months sober here and there throughout my sophomore and junior year of college. And then when I turned 21, I remember I went to this giant liquor store they have in one of the Baltimore counties. I think it's in like Lutherville or something. And I went in and I like filled up a cart with like some of the like, just like the weirdest combination of shit. And I drink alone in my dorm room to celebrate my 21st birthday because so many people knew that I was trying to get sober. So I, I was embarrassed. I don't want to tell anyone that I was drinking again. And that's kind of a pattern that's persisted since. Like I'll try and get clean and I'll tell people, you know, because I want to protect my sobriety. So I'll tell them I'm not drinking now. And then... I am drinking, so then I'm trying to hide it, and um, I mean, I'm sure you guys know the drill. Like it's always a, it's like a runaround, and it's like, I mean, people never know where I'm at. They never know if I'm sober or not. Um, and luckily today they do, you know. But but it's, it's just like a pattern through the years. Hmm. So when I was 22, I I don't even know how I hit bottom at this point, but I, I just like. I was, I just had, it. I don't know. It was just like, I just had, I'd, I'd gotten PC'd a couple of times and I, I kept getting kicked out of places. If anywhere I went when I was drinking, I was getting kicked out. Uh, I was just like a rascal and I was having a lot of interpersonal issues. I was always cheating on somebody. It was just like, I clearly had no confidence and alcohol was my only solution. But I wake up in the morning and go like, what the hell did I do? Like, so I started going to meetings and I stayed sober from, October 31st, my senior year, 2013, until two two years later, November 2015 or something. Um, and I, it was through my senior year of college, so basically had to redo my whole friend group in the last year. Um, but because of that, I got into Teach for America. It's pretty hard to get into. It's like a prestigious cool. teacher. It's like if the military were teaching, right? Um, and I got placed in Nashville, Tennessee, I also, that year, the end of like my first year of sobriety, then I won a $10,000 grant, which was unreal. 
Um, and it actually set me on my way to, I was able to get a computer, I was able to get a car and settle, help me to settle in to Nashville where I was going to be teaching for the next two years. And I stayed sober through my first year of teaching, which was absolute hell. I mean, the stuff that they had us doing at the Teach for America level and then also within the school, the school was really struggling and, and that's what they do. They put you in struggling schools, but I stayed sober through it. And everyone I knew who was in the program with me and Teach for America with me was like, they were drinking, partying. But I got to Nashville, and as soon as I could, I got to a meeting. I didn't have a car at that time. I, didn't, I couldn't tell anyone I was sober. Um, and, of course, somehow I found three other people in the cohort that were also sober. So it's just crazy how that works, you know. Um, I had, like, a like an AA mug or something that I won at a meeting in Baltimore. And this kid, who, who, who was my buddy the whole time, he's like, oh, my God, are you a friend of Bill's? And I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> it was just, it was how he found out. It was like, yo, like, I knew you were my fam. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. But stuff like that, when it happens, like, you can't deny that miracle, you know? It's like, we were already bros, and then that happened. So, um, I, you know, I stayed sober through those two years of teaching, and then I was having a lot of issues with my relationship and, um, that was in at the time as like my college sweetheart and like, yeah, I can't say exactly what re- went wrong. I can say I was working a program, but it could have been better. I felt really isolated, I think was a big part of it. And it just, and oh, and I got an Adderall prescription. That was like, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a huge part of my story. Like once I, t- I was like 24, 25, I got an Adderall prescription and I used to use it recreationally in college, but it was, it just, it was pretty much once I started taking that, I thought it would, would help me with teaching and it ended up just leading me right back to smoking weed and then right back to drinking. And, and within months, like within five, six months. So after having two years of sobriety, I went back out and from there pretty much all hell broke loose. I mean, I was 20, I had a quarter life crisis dead ass. Like when I was 25, I ended up, I had like a full blown manic episode and it was, Induced by Zoloft to an extent, but also Zoloft mixed with Adderall and then with alcohol. And then just like, it was, it was nuts. I almost died in a car accident. Um, I, I ended up calling crisis on myself because my partner didn't, she thought I was just being a dickhead. Like she did not understand that I was having like a full blown mental breakdown. Mm. And I spent 18 days in a psych ward in Nashville. And that was terrible. They, they let us outside one time in 16 days for literally four minutes. You know, it was not rehabilitative, but it did help me. I mean, it got me kind of stable. They also put me on like a bunch of meds and some of them I was allergic to. And, you know, I know that the institution situation just, it's so bad. It needs so much reform. <laughs> and like, that's really all I could, like, I'm sure there's, there's so much to say about that. There's so much to say. Um, but at, the day I got out, my mom called me and told me that my grandfather, who was like a father figure to me, um, was on hospice and that I should come home because he was going to die. And, you know, after everything that happened, I was just like, I guess I'll go home. And my grandpa ended up living for two weeks, which was, which was just enough time for me to get there. And like, I was super like, I'm going to be sober now. And I got home and it's like on all my cousins were all in the grieving process. And I just started drinking again. And 
at that point, my college sweetheart, we'd been together for like three years. She broke up with me while I was home in Springfield. And, you know, and then just shit hit the fan. Like, I, I lost my car. I lost my job. I lost everything. And I was living back at home with my mom and my stepdad, who I ne- I mean, he came into my life when I was 19 and wanted to tell me what to do all the time. And it's like, when, you, when you're the one that's been in charge of your household for your whole life, to have, like, a grown man getting in your face and telling you what to do is just, like, nah, like, I'm not doing that. So going back home to that situation really sucked. And I don't know how I would have stayed sober. Honestly, I didn't have anything. I was trying to go to meetings. I was trying so hard. I wanted to be sober, but my my circumstances were just so shit. And my my coping skill was drinking. So it is, you know, it is what it is. And I, I needed that time. Like I needed, I spent like a year really, really struggling and just drink, drink it every night, but drink heavily. I ended up. You know, I, at this point, I had my master's degree, and I'm 25 years old. I have my master's degree. I just did Teach for America, and I'm working in a UMass dining hall because it was the only job I could get. And I was dating some girl. Like, some girl was so bad for me. It was, like, not a good situation. And I just basically had, like, a mess on my hands. And then within a year, I was trying to get sober again, put together a couple months. We got a new place. I went back out. I had my first arrest and it was like the police report is insane. When I read it, it just, it's crazy. Um, but I guess the even crazier part, and I hope no one that I work with is listening to this as I never, like I was at this point back teaching and I never, like it never impacted my job somehow. Um, but I, I was really struggling. Like I kept having withdrawals cause I would be, I would drink really heavy and then try to stop on my own. And there was one couple points when I was on an ambulance because of, it turned out to be just like extreme dehydration, but it was, it was not good. Um, you know, don't try and detox on your own if you're listening to this. I know right now it's tough because you don't want to go into a hospital, but you don't want to die from that shit. Um, so, you know, within a couple of years, I was, I was now working, I'm like working at the high school I went to and I, this was last year. Went to a detox, got four months clean, and it was so well. I was sober, but I can't say I was clean because I was still taking Adderall. Even though I was prescribed it, I definitely wasn't taking it as prescribed. And I'll say this: like if you're struggling to stop drinking and you're still taking Adderall, maybe stop taking Adderall because <laughs> it's not gonna help. Like I promise. Like they have other shit for you that's not that much of a stimulant. That's not literally prescription mess. So. I have no regrets being off at this point. I know I would not have this almost year of sobriety if I was still on it. Um, but I did get engaged in that time. And to my high school sweetheart, we just ended up, I never thought we'd end up back together. And she stopped drinking. And we were having a lot of issues with her being like, basically that I was a, our relationship was really strong, except that I was just struggling so much with my drinking. Like I just turned to complete evil demon when I'm drinking. So, you know, it's just crazy because on the outside, I had things together. I had a job, I had a, a car again, I had my own place again, um, money in the bank. But as I continued drinking, just like, shit was just spiraling out of control. And then um, I started doing stand-up comedy, and that took off so much quicker than I thought. Like, I just, it blew up, like, almost instantly. Just, it was it was nuts. And it blew up because I was sober. But then, because I blew up so quick, and I was getting paid to be in bars, I started drinking again. And this was last 
it was last June when I had this huge sellout show for Gay Pride and like I was like headlining and it was like I was like on top but I was also struggling with coke again and I couldn't stop drinking and I was taking just a bajillion milligrams of Adderall just to keep you know the fact that I was teaching all day and then going and doing comedy all night you know it was just like it was not sustainable it was on some like Robin Williams shit where I was just like constantly trying to put stuff in my body to keep me going and keep being entertaining and and obviously behind closed doors I'm falling apart Hmm. you know I feel like so alone and it was just it was so hard and um eventually in a blackout one night I I think yeah like I cheated on my fiance is what happened and I'm gonna say that as embarrassing as that is because it is embarrassing for me to to admit infidelity but it's like it's a part of my story and I know I'm not alone so I want to put it out there and she basically said don't talk to me till you go to rehab and it wasn't like the don't talk to me till you go to rehab that's like you know and we'll work it out when you do it's like it was like I don't know if I'm ever gonna fucking talk to you again you know it was like I think we're done for good and I was heartbroken because she from the first time I saw her at 14 I was like I'm gonna marry her literally <laughs> like the first time I saw her I said I thought that and it it was breaking my heart that I was hurting her so bad. So I went to my principal, um, boss, who was actually my high school principal. If you think about that, it's just nuts. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, listen, I can't come back and teach next year if if I don't get sober. And I just said it. I don't know what it was, but I was just at a loss. I had no one to talk to. I just I had no one to talk to. I mean, I don't have parents. I have two little sisters. One of them had just had a baby. The other one was in college. So, and then my partner who had just told me basically to go fuck myself. So it was like, I I don't know. I needed somebody and I happened to go to the right person because he called a teacher I did not know was in the program, came down and we sat there for seven hours calling different rehabs, trying to get me a bed. And my principal and the other teacher did not leave. They, not only did they not leave, they kept hounding my insurance company to do what they needed to do to get me in. And then they drove me to a place. It was an hour and 15 minutes away. They drove me and dropped me off. And it happened to be a perfect fit rehab. I mean, I had, I had a counselor, I had a social worker. I had, the food was ball in debt. They served Starbucks coffee. And I got in on a scholarship because of the work that that teacher did to get me in there. My insurance wasn't going to cover it. Even teacher insurance was like, they were trying to send me to some like another crappy state facility and this place had a more um, alternative approach where they like, we played outside, like you learned how to paint, like stuff like that. And like, I needed that. I'm a very, like I'm a hobbyist and I just needed to learn that I could do shit and not be fucked up. Like I could have fun and I didn't have to drink. And that's exactly what I learned. Like I actually, my personality came out and I was like, oh man, I'm still funny. I don't need to be, <laughs> I don't need to be drunk to be funny. Like I'm still hyper as hell. Like I, I'm still, in fact, you know, without all that stuff, I was even, because I could just go to sleep at night. I didn't have to, like, feel ashamed, and I didn't have to make myself pass out. It was, And I started learning new coping skills, and I got on the right meds, finally, after, I mean, five, six years. You know, I, it was just, it was a perfect fit, and I feel so blessed that I ended up there. And one of the best things was I had family therapy, 
with my sister. She brought her two kids and her fiance, who was actually also her high school sweetheart. So I don't know. Either my mom did something right or she did something real wrong where, where we both are with our high school sweethearts. Um, but, you know, just having her there and talking and realizing that, like, I was actually hurting her too and she'd been wanting, but I'm her older sister, so she didn't want to, like, tell me, like, hey, I'm worried about you and you really need to stop drinking. So we had a lot of really heartbreaking but important conversations. And since then, she's been someone I've relied on a lot. And then, like, a month after I got out of rehab, I ended up rekindling things with my fiancé. We're now... We actually moved in together, like, I'm not even kidding you, four days before our state put on quarantine protocols. So, <laughs> like, imagine waiting for so long to move in with your partner, like, literally since since you were a child. And then, <laughs> and then you move in together, and it's like, great, now you're stuck inside forever. Happy divorce. Like, it was just, like, weird timing. So we're actually doing great, and it's because of recovery that we're doing so great. Like, it's because we both work a program, and, I mean, if I were drinking right now, I don't know. I, I would be wishing I was dead if I wasn't dead already. I just can't. Yeah. I feel so grateful every single day. Every single day I wake up sober, I'm just like, yes, like, I did it again. Like, when I was in that rehab, the best advice I was given was, don't pick up today no matter what. And I say that to myself whenever I have a craving or something it's like don't pick up today no matter what and then the other thing I do if I'm like having a real bad day I just go to sleep honestly I'm like I'll try again tomorrow like those things work for me because I just need to not let my emotions get the best of me and get me back and like yeah, just basically recenter myself before I do something reckless um yeah so I'm gonna pass with that awesome that was great I, I for sharing. Yeah, I like I liked what you said. Um, it's something that isn't said enough. Where it's just like I'll I'll try again tomorrow. Like if the day is just going to shit, and you're just like, oh man, fuck this. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna fucking call it and like try tomorrow for a better day. Like, and I I think sometimes you it can fuck with you if you're just like I'm just gonna keep you know going at it. And, like, things are just going to keep going poorly. Um, and then that just fucks with your whole day. So I, I like that. Um, so, Allie. Nice. Yeah, it's got some shit. Yeah. Cool. Allie, I really loved... Yeah, I really loved that you kept saying no matter what. Because last week, we kept talking about the no matter what club and, like, I, you know, I am with you 100%, and I was trying to get Eric to rejoin, you know, so anyway, you, you weren't there, so I won't reel you into it, but it was just so on point, like, when you said that, um, but yeah, it was so good to hear you share, or like, and I love recovery, it's like, I, I haven't seen, I don't know what you look like, but I feel like I know you right now from no, hearing yeah. your story, right, like, that's, so like, and it, it's awesome, like, it, it's great, like, I, I don't know, it's, really good to hear you share and like when you said in the beginning about losing a friend at the age of four so I had a crush on this boy when I was like I don't know it was in like seventh grade right and like he told me like he liked me and uh, all this stuff and I was trying to play like what I um people do on tv and in the movies and I was like oh, I'm just gonna play it cool and like act like I'm not that interested in him and then 
I'm going to tell him I really am, but I don't want him to know because then he will lose interest in me. So I'm going to play it cool. And the next time I see him, I'm going to tell him how I feel. Well, he died in a dirt bike accident. And like, it fucked me up for a long time. I felt like I did not deserve love. Like, I don't know why, like I thought that, but like my little teenage brain told me that was like my way of coping with it. So when you said that, I like it totally reminded me of a situation and like, I, I felt this feel like I felt what you were saying. Um, but like, yeah, that was good to hear you say Like what a passion. And like, not everybody's a one night wonder, you know, I don't know how I was. I mean, I had been introduced to the rooms like a ton of times throughout my using, but like, I never took it seriously. So I don't ever really talk about that. I think I was like, this is a weird cult group of people and like they are brainwashed and they are simple as hell and I don't want anything to do with this yeah. I want to chant like I don't want to hold hands I don't want to like circle up you know but um that was just like my disease I think telling me like because I think somewhere in my logical mind it was like wait a minute these people have a point <laughs> like, wait a minute you actually do do that stuff that they're talking about but like I just you know I couldn't um but yeah it was it was really good to hear you share. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And if you want to know what I look like, I've been told I look a lot like if Justin Bieber drove a bus. Do you know it's hilarious? When he started talking, I was like, oh my God, is this Justin? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been told at that Ellen DeGeneres. Like if Ellen DeGeneres joined the mob, they'd be like calling me like Ellen DeGenerate or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Because your voice, you, so I guess you have the Justin vibe and the Justin vocal. So that's funny. <laughs> My hair is reckless now. There's no part of you. <laughs> so... Hey. We definitely have a few questions for you. Um, so, Allie, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Eric, you can go first. Okay, okay. Um, first off, I think it's crazy that you went to Goucher. Um, that's wild. Uh, wait, so, you know Goucher? Wait, 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 how? Huh? How do you know Goucher? No one knows it. Uh, I went to Towson. Because we're from Maryland. Yeah. Oh, for real? I went to Towson, and I lived, um, uh, I, so you graduated in 13? Yeah, yeah. I graduated Towson in, uh, 2010. Did you, um, so across from Goucher, if you remember, there were, like, the Delaney Valley apartments, and they were, like, these oh, really great. old stone buildings that were apartments? Mm-hmm. I lived there. Yeah. For, like, a few years what? when I went to Towson. So I had a lot of friends who went to Goucher. I worked at Record and Tape Traders, too, if you ever went there. What? Yeah. Wait, this is nuts. I for, I should have asked y'all where you were from from the top, because, like, what? Like, Towson is, like, like that's such a small world. Like, um, what the when hell? You, when you said you went to school in, in, Baltimore, in Baltimore, and then it was, like, Goucher, I was like, oh, shit. Like, we might have, like, crossed paths at one point. That's crazy. Um, Yo, my used to live you know where that cvs was right by where you're saying you live yeah definitely okay where the is right my friend yeah. lived in the house right there and we would party there non-stop oh yeah i i used to i used to go to cvs and buy like um frozen dinners all the time because i was you know just a shitty drug addict and i just ate like meatloaf wait what <laughs> It's kind of wild, right? I just had to bring that up because I, I it kind of like when you said that, I was like, oh, wow, weird, small world. Um, but, but I'm going to ask, you grew up Catholic and 
coming to recovery, uh, at least, you know, from like a fellowship perspective, right? There's a spiritual journey that a lot of people have to like embark on or choose to embark on. I did not, but a lot of people do choose to embark on that. And so how, how has your spirituality, if it has come and played a role in your life through recovery now? And did you take any of the elements from your upbringing and incorporated them into your spirituality um, in this stage of your life? Ooh, I'll say not on purpose, you know, like a lot of the things I have left over from my Catholic upbringing are not wanted, you know, like I, I, I'm trying to accept myself for how I am today, but there's just so much guilt that I carry and so much like self-laceration that occurs. And like, I have this, um, this thing where if I, if I mess something up, I'm just like, it's over for me. I might as well go drink. Mm. And I feel like I got that from, from that idea that any sin is as bad as any sin, you know? Um, so I have to let go of a lot of my preconceived notions of, of, of God and sin and, um, and just try and like spread, just shower myself with self love, but for real, because like, so I, I don't think I have a hard time with God, but I think the longer I'm in recovery, I'm realizing I do actually have some resentment. So it's, it's definitely been a process trying to figure out like, like, yeah, I'm cool to pray. Yeah. I feel like I have a connection with my higher power, but is there stuff left over from my youth that is preventing me from really connecting with my higher power to the extent that, that I should be, mm. um, I also, I have a different concept of higher power now than I did. Like now I think of higher power as time, just like the concept of time. Ooh, like it explain, goes back to explain that, oh. please. I, I'm yeah. very curious. Yeah, please. So, yeah. yeah. So time goes backwards for infinity and forwards for infinity. It's, it's impossible to understand the concept alone, right? You can't mm -hmm. even wrap your head around time as a thing. And it heals all wounds, right? Time fixes everything. And to me, that's, that's God. So the idea that if I do the right thing every day, I'm going to, like, I'll be different. I'll be changed. That's, that's God. That's me trusting time to take care of things um, and to improve me. So if I drink every day over time, obviously, right? It's also like, to me, time is... Um, uh, well, it's, it's not linear, but it's, it has no judgment. It doesn't give a shit about what's happening. It's just like, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I, I have a hard time sometimes with the concept of, like, you know, God wanting me to do something. Like, I don't think God as a concept gives a shit if I'm sober or not. I think I give a shit if I'm sober and I'm the one that needs to put in the time toward a recovery program so that I can keep what I have been so freely given. Um, does that answer the um, That's amazing. Yeah. That might be one of my top. That yeah, actually, one, my yeah, that's top five favorite spirituality um, answers so far. That's good. That's really fucking good. Because I, I subscribe yeah. to like the doc. Like, have you seen the Watchmen? Like, Hell yeah. The Jesus, movie. Yeah. Yeah, who watches the Watchmen? <laughs> so like, not the, not the show. The show's dope. If you haven't seen it, fucking see it. But the I movie, um, where Dr. Manhattan is just like, I, I forget the exact quote of what he says, but He's just saying, like, I just want to go and create some life somewhere else. And he's like a god. And it's like, why would 
why am I that important to believe that like something that has like that much power would care about me? Like, it seems very narcissistic to think that like I'm that important um, in the grand scheme of things. So I like that time. That's, that's a really, that's good. I really like that. Oh man. Mm -hmm. I'm going to think about this now. Okay. I also want to say that like, it it helps me because in teaching I've learned about a growth mindset and it's something I really stress for my students. So a growth mindset is just your, the ability, your belief in your ability to change and grow. Right. So like if I can't, instead of saying I'm bad at math or I'm not good at math saying like, I just haven't mastered certain concepts yet. And you're just adding the word yet on it. And to me, like I can achieve anything if I put enough time into it. And isn't that so powerful, right? Like, that's my God strength. Mm -hmm. If I invest the time, I'm going to get it. And it's the same thing with recovery. Like, if I invest the time in my recovery, then I'll get more out of it. And if I don't, well, time will tell. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, good set. Thank you. Good set. Is it my turn? It is your turn, Allie. Okay, so um, you mentioned in the beginning and then at the end um, how, I guess, the whole situation, right, with what's going on with the world right now has, like, affected you because you're not, you know, you're not working, um, and then I'm sure it's affected, like, meeting attendance and all of that, so I just was, like, wondering, you know, like, what are some of the things that you're doing, because I'm sure you're, like, I don't know, but, like, I work in the medical field, so, like, my life didn't come to a complete standstill, but, like, I'm sure being a teacher and then, you know, because you can't work, you can't go to school. Um, like, I just wanted to know like what you're doing basically to help keep you sober and clean during this, you know, new time of, for everybody, like this new experience that's going on. Oh yeah, for sure. I actually, I started a podcast. <laughs> um, oh, it's called sober during crisis. And it's because I wanted to know that exact, the answer to that exact question of like, how the hell are people staying sober right now? Because I, I thought I was going to drink, honestly, y'all like, I'm not going to lie to you. There was like a, the yeah. first couple of weeks when I, I didn't have to go to work. And I, I was like, this is exactly the kind of situation that I would try to create for myself when I was drinking. Like I would, tr- I would yeah. alone so I could drink and I would, I would be like, Oh, I just need free time to focus on my creative projects. But what I meant by that was like to sit and drink and mess around in the studio. So because I have, I actually studied computer music at Goucher. I used to rap around the area down there, like at the hexagon. Y'all know that place? No. It's like I'm a club thing. It's down there. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I did like, I used to like rap when I lived in Baltimore. And then when I moved to Nashville, I, I plan to keep pursuing music and I, I kind of did, but I, it just took a different turn than I was expecting. So basically I've had all of these skills with editing audio for a long time. And I wasn't, I was I wasn't doing God's work with it. Like I wasn't carrying a message that was useful to other people. And so then when this came around, I had two options, you know, I could relapse and throw away everything that I had achieved or I could actually do something useful with it. So I was, I was like, man, I'm just going to, see if people want to just chat with me about how they're staying sober and I'll just like ask them how they're doing it since I don't know and it gave me something to focus on I spend a lot of hours every week editing stuff (laughs) for the podcast now like it's pretty much besides like 
teaching and playing video games and working out is like that's all I do. Hmm. So you're still teaching? Not, I mean, teaching. yeah, I, I think I'm legally required to say yes, but not. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I mean, not really. It's not, you know, I put stuff up online and make sure everybody knows what they're doing and I'm getting paid. I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah. All right. So, hmm. so you said, let. so one of the things that I'm always like, um, you know, we've talked to a few people like, uh, you said that you're now, I'm trying to phrase this so I don't come off wrong. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'll just yell at you. Okay, okay. Call me out if I'm saying things wrong. Um, so, yeah. you mentioned gender and how you were talking about, like, one of the things that I'm curious about and I've asked other people in the LGBT community um, is that, you know, one of the things I find interesting is we had one person on the show and she, we asked her the question of like, how was growing, like growing up, how much did, you know, being a lesbian, like contribute to your, um, sobriety. And she said something where she was at someone's one year anniversary and she was just so angry because the girl was like maybe 20 and she was also a lesbian, but, like, that didn't play a role into her, like, drinking because people were more accepting of her as an individual in these times than the person before. And I'm curious, with you having, like, you know, struggling with your gender growing up, was there a... How much did that play into... You know, because you described a lot of your home life, and that was a lot of the reason you drank and used, was, like, your struggle with your gender and trying to figure out who you were. Was there an issue? Like, was that one of the main contributing factors to why you, you know, drank and used? And if so, how were you able to get, like, not, you know, get through that? Oh, yeah. All right. So, to start, I want to say that it did impact my drinking because it actually kept me out of the rooms of AA for a long time. The old, very old school notions of gender in 12-step groups were driving me out. Hmm. I mean, I would get there, it'd be like, men sponsor men and women sponsor women. I'd look at some of the women, I'd be like, mm, I, I wish you would sponsor me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, it did not do me any good to to have those like real old school ideas of gender as a binary and just the idea that your biological sex determines what your gender expression is going to be and your gender. And, and it's cause for me, like all, everything about me now is just, I'm very true to myself, but it doesn't fit into society, societal constructs. And even as far as sexuality, like I hate the word lesbian, but that's because when I hear it, I just picture like a lizard wearing lipstick and I don't know, I don't Wait. identify as a lizard. Lipstick, you know what oh, I'm saying? No, I, 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 wait, I don't know. Why do you, why do you think of a, a lizard wearing lipstick? I hate how that word sounds. It sounds so nasty. I, <laughs> I, I've never, now I'm going to, when I hear it next time, that's what I'm going to think of. I'm going to be like, I don't really, 
I got a really good <laughs> visual of when you just said that. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So I don't like the. I didn't like that term really ever. Um, <laughs> and also because I mean, if we're getting down to, I identify as queer only because like for me, gender just plays less of a role. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's not that. I don't know. It's not that I'm not attracted to men. It's just that, like, we're, like, bros. Like, it's, like, hard for me to push past this idea that, like, it's, like, ugh. I don't know. It's, like, ew. Like, I can't explain it. (laughs) Um, But for, like, as far as gender and my struggles with it, you know, when I was, like, 13 or something, I tried to tell my mom that I was bi Mm -hmm. at seventh grade. And then I, I was struggling with it so bad, and she literally was, like, no, you're not. And I was like, okay. And that was like the last time that I really tried to, to talk to her about it. I knew I was like, some, I knew I was something. I was like, something's not right. I don't, I'm not like other kids for sure in some way with the gender thing. And I constantly felt like I was crawling out of my skin. But as far as like using, I think I used it like, like when I would drink, I would very much embody the principles of toxic masculinity. And hmm. since I've got over, I'm like, oh, I'm actually like super soft and vulnerable and that's okay. I don't need to have this like harder shell on me and act like I'm so tough and cool and nothing you do bothers me. And in fact, if you piss me off, I'll show you by getting so self-destructively drunk that I throw away my progress or whatever, you know? So like now I'm like, I actually, I'm like, well, I, I care about people and I like doing things for people and that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that. So... I think that, I think that answers your question. I'm not sure. No, yeah, I I I'm always so I I looked at your Twitter account. I do have a question, and I it can be like, and I don't know if this is like PC necessarily, but can you explain to me? Um, and I'm I'm just being curious about this, like the because your pronoun is they and them, right? Right, 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 right. So what what does that like mean to you? Oh my god, I hate this so much. Um, no, listen, I'm <laughs> not just, you, not you. No, yeah, I'm just curious from like it's, just a come for him. He said, "Come for him if he ever." Yeah, you can no, come no, at me. <laughs> question? No, no. <laughs> I resisted. You know, I resisted so bad having they them pronouns until quite literally four months ago. I was like, "All right, I'm gonna put them in my Twitter profile, and we'll see what happens." Um, the reason, so the reason that they them works for me right now is because by all for all intents and purposes I'm trans. Okay. I'm non-binary. I don't I don't fit the uh, the gender that I was assigned at birth. But I'm not going to transition. I I played football as a kid. I was the only girl in the entire league. And cool. What position it, it was, did you play? Was, uh, defensive end and then oh, wow. in eighth grade I was the line. Oh. Yeah, but it's like, I don't want to, I don't, this is going to sound so dumb, but I don't want to rob myself of the, all the stuff that I've been through because I'm female, because I'm technically a woman. Like, as soon as I transit, like, I already kind of, like, passed as a dude. People call me sir by accident all the time. When I lived in Nashville, I was sir, no matter what. And so to, to fully transition, I know I'll pass right away and people will, will look at me and they won't, they'll see a dude. Like, they're not going to see they're not going to be like, oh, that's a, that's a trans man. Like, they're going to see a full dude. And that would rob me of some of the experiences that I've had as a female, as a woman. And I don't want to do that. Like, I very much have fought a lot of fights for, as a result of my gender. And I don't, I'm not going to do that to myself. So 
the they them thing is just like because when people refer to me using the she her pronouns it does kind of make me cringe to be honest like it's just like ugh, like it's just not right but i i don't want to go fully over to to asking people to call me he him um and that that might be a thing that changes also look my dad's mad bald and as soon as i start taking testosterone i'm losing all my beautiful hair so i got i gotta think about these things you know what i'm saying no that's that's um that was that was great i i mean i'm just i'm curious usually and i never thought the way that you described how you know you didn't want to lose your experiences as you know like a female and you know have you're you're essentially you have both experiences right and that's kind of like what you're you're aiming for is you you get to keep the experiences of each pronoun yeah, yeah. The they them is really just a way to encapsulate that. Yeah, and it. I know it's hard. I had my my sister struggle with it a lot. She she's gonna kill me for telling this story. But <laughs> the other day she's going to the store, and my friend who uses they them pronouns was working, and I and she said, "If I see they, I'll let you know." <laughs> and I just started. And I laughed, and she's like, I'm doing my best. I'm trying so hard to learn how to. <laughs> but it's it's it was hard for me, and like I tell like I tell people now, I'm like my pronouns are bro bruh. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, I you have you're giving very. I like the thing on time, and that makes sense. Like the the pronoun thing makes sense. I'm just uh, I don't know. I'm not like I've I've been very curious about that, but. Allie? Um, so I just had a, que- a question to kind of piggyback back off of Eric's question, and then I had a separate one. Uh, but to piggyback off of Eric, so, like what you had said, you know, you don't have the experience. Do you feel like if you transition, you're going to lose that part of you? Like this, you know, person that you've created thus far for like the childhood side of you or, you know, whatever that one experience that you've had do you feel like you have to let that go in order to transition no no i no i think a big part of it is that well one like i said i don't want to lose my hair because i have i don't have a good face for being bald like (laughs) i just growing up i was just a little girl with the face of a grown man you know (laughs) um I do that one stand-up comedy and most people just feel bad. But but the thing is, like... <laughs> I don't... I can't judge. I can't see. So I... I don't... <laughs> in reality, I know I'm going to pass. And by pass, I mean I'm going to look like your typical white guy. I'm just going to be a short, nerdy white guy. And unfortunately, yeah. like... Like, that's just not the, been the reality of my of my experience. So it's not that I would lose that. It's that that becomes so much further away from the surface and 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 then I'd have to out myself. I'd have to tell people, well, mm-hmm. I, growing up, I was a little girl, you know, and that defeats all. Yeah. Why even transition if you're going to have to be like, well, you know, growing up when I had my period, like, who the fuck? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I also, yeah. my name is, my birth name is Angela. 
um, and I go by Ange, and my family has struggled a lot with that. Like they, they can't, and I'm like, it's not, I'm not saying call me Christmas tree angel. I'm saying it's like literally just half my name. And the, the thing is I took off the ELA and now I just teach that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so it, it's been so hard for me to explain. So now I say, you know, my name is Ange. It's short for androgynous. And in all reality, ah. what the hell I am. And that's fine. Like, it's like, that's just true to my experience. To me, gender just doesn't make any freaking sense. Like, I don't, I don't get why we yeah. have such strict rules around how men act and how women act. And, and anybody who doesn't fit into that is a weirdo. It's like, or just like relax. Like they're just colors, you know, they're, they're just clothes. They're just hand gestures. It doesn't, it's just a haircut. Like relax. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I, totally, I, I, yeah, I get that. And people do like they, we, you know, most people just want to put people in a box because it's easy to categorize them that way. They're like, Oh, you're this, you're that, you're this. It's not always that easy. It's not always that simple. Not everybody is going to fit the same mold. Um, but it, another, like the actual question that I have for you. Um, so my sponsorship family, um, we had a guy in our sponsorship family and people would like ask me questions about it as if it's like some weird occurrence. And I was just wondering if you did have a male sponsor and if you do, or if you do like, you know, your struggles or experience with that, you, I think you touched on it a little bit about, um, old school, you know, a kind of kicking, keeping you out of the room. So like, I just wanted to know what your experiences was like finding a sponsor, the type of sponsor that you do have, um, and just like how, you know, how it's perceived or how people in meetings like react to it or if they even give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you the worst experience I had with it was actually in a detox just a couple of years ago where he, and this was a very angry man. I feel like he wasn't working a very good program if I could take his inventory, but he <laughs> looked at me dead in the face and was like, men sponsor men and women sponsor women. And I go, yeah, that's not going to work for me. And he goes, well, that's how it is. And I was like, no, but like, that's not going to work for me. And like this idea that somebody else is going to tell me how my program should work and what's going to keep me sober. Just like, got me so mad. Yeah. Like you can't tell everybody that like, you don't know, yeah. you don't know what's going to work for somebody else. But I, I get, I get why in 1930 that made sense. Also, let's be honest here. The big book says nothing about sponsorship. So, um, I, my, I got a favorite sponsor and it was this dude, Sam, actually, when I was in, um, in Baltimore, he was a, a classmate and I went to, my favorite meetings were in Baltimore. Like I, I loved it there. I, I loved the fellowship there. There were so many young people, a lot of dudes wearing backpacks, drinking big gulps, but you know, you, you get what you get. Um, and then I've had, uh, I had a gay dude, which was a good fit. Cause I mean, we didn't have a lot in common, but like he was, he was a, worked a good program. And I actually now I'm blessed. I have a, a trans dude sponsor. So I have yeah. really gets it. Um, I'm blessed though. I found a, a really good queer AA meeting that I, if I didn't have, I don't know that I would have made it through this year. I just I happened to just fall into it at the right time. And it was like just starting up. So I've been a big part of it, like getting on its legs and everything. And I, I feel like being so involved in one group like that, it just makes a huge difference. But yeah, I, I've had, um, I had female sponsors too. When I was in Nashville, I had a real hard, I mean, Nashville, I didn't even try and talk about this stuff when I was there, honestly. There was one gay meeting. It was a Friday night at 5 p.m. It was the one gay meeting in the entire city. And there's a lot of liberals there, so I don't know. But um, I, I had a female sponsor when I was there. 
And it was fine. I mean, I'm, my sisters are my best friends. It's not like I don't have friends that are women. It's just like, it's it's just awkward. I got to, it just gets awkward, you know? Yeah. No, well, I don't personally know, but like, I, I mean, I saw my fancy brother go through it. And I mean, he really, he struggled. And, um, you know, it was like weird because I wasn't even, that's not even like my thing, you know, like, yeah, we have the same sponsor, but like, I'm not him and I'm not my sponsor. But people would like ask me how I felt about it. And I'm like, do I even, I don't even, I don't feel what I don't feel anything about it. Good If it's worked for them, good for them. But like, why would I have an opinion about it? You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have an opinion about any of that because it's not about like women stick with the women, men stick with the men. It's about getting the help that you need to don't die at the end of the day. Um, so you were saying that actually just hearing you, it just remind brings me back to Baltimore and back to young people's meetings that aren't LGBTQ meetings. It's so separated by gender and I have this issue. This is the thing. And I need people to not do this. Like it, it really drove me out. I, I would hear a dude say something that I really liked and really related with and resonated with. So I go up to him after a meeting and be like, Hey man, I really liked what you said. And he would be like, cool. Have you met my friend Amy and try and palm me up? push me off on a girl and it's like no dude like I'm telling you I liked what you said it actually like it doesn't have to be you're the one making it about gender right now. <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah. you know I feel like that other people being self-conscious about it has prevented me from making certain connections or you go to a meeting and you see all the dudes standing in one circle all the females standing in another and you're like well where do I go like where because like especially when dudes are always trying to push me off on, on a, a woman to say like, yeah, you can't talk to me. It's like, why not? You're working a program too. I'm working a program. I'm not trying to sleep with you, dude. I'm trying to talk to you about recovery. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I get it. And I see it. I've seen it done. You know what I mean? Like, and it, we have a lot, like, I, you know, I'm from Baltimore. We might've even been in the same meeting or know some of the same people, but like, I see it done by old timers a lot. And I guess maybe it's just that, like you said, like maybe back then or like their sponsor and what they learned, that's how they learned it. But like times are different now. Times are changing. And like, I don't know, like I don't care whoever your sponsor is. Like as long as you're like happy and you're not using, like that's all I care about. I don't mind. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you, you shared about that. Cause like, it's not something I don't think we've ever talked about. It, it, it's important. It matters. Thanks. And, and you know, what's crazy is like, you'll have people that the reason they, they make those rules is because they, they can't act appropriately. Like they cannot speak to yeah. the appropriately. And it's like, that's your issue, dude. Like that's the, th you have to work through that. That's not on me. It's not my issue. Yeah. That's yeah. Like I didn't even think about it that way. But yeah. I mean, I see why like back people would say that, Oh, like you could be taken advantage of, but I mean, like you said, if you're not trying to sleep with a dude, like, why can't you talk recovery? So. <laughs> like, I promise you, bro, I promise you. Like, <laughs> that's so far from what I'm trying to get out of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, we are now um, at the Twitter question. So, we don't get David's little horn and song and dance this week. Um, so... <laughs> The way this works, it's just a little shade thrown at David because I he knows I hate that thing that he does. Um, so the way this works, Ange, is this is like round robin. You'll go first, then um, Allie, and then myself. And this week's uh, Twitter question uh, slash topic is from Rewrite Recovery Counseling. 
and it's on boundaries. And they give a specific re, um, example, but you can talk about any type of boundary. Um, but the example they gave is every time someone uses or acts out, um, it's a boundary violation. Every time it is the inability to set and hold boundaries that lead back to the pit. Um, and our inability to set and keep boundaries is ultimately a self-worth issue. We don't believe we're worth it. So, Ange, if you want to talk about boundaries first, and then uh, we'll go around the room. Ooh, you know, I have a hard time thinking about my struggles with addiction as an inability to, to hold a boundary because I do have that physical allergy that whenever a drop of alcohol touches my lips, that's suddenly all I can think about until I get some spiritual help. And I think for certain people, it might be a, a case of you can just create a new routine and just not drink with pure willpower. But the way I understand my disease is that I can't just make a decision and not cross a boundary. It's, um, you know, I, I need literal intervention. I need, I need God. Like I need something beyond human aid and pushing myself and trying to, you know, to me, that's a dangerous, a slippery slope to say that it's, it's my fault and blaming myself because what ends up happening is it, it does become just further and further self-deprecation of like, you fucked up, you're going to keep fucking up, so you might as well keep drinking. Or like, oh, we had that one beer, so I guess you're going on a five-month bender. So I guess I just, as far as like personal boundaries with myself in addiction, I think today... I can set, I can't, I do have the freedom to create new routines and, and hold myself to them. But that's because I'm free of my actual choice. Like I'm not, I'm not doing the things I used to do that kept me in that pit. Um, see, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I never thought about it like that. And I would say if I had to be mad at myself every time I drink, which I usually, which I usually do. Um, yeah, I could, I could, I don't know. I don't want. I don't want to push myself down into that rabbit hole. Like today, I just want to like. I set the boundary of not thinking about the times that I did. I messed up. Hmm. Allie. Me. Yeah. Um, the boundaries was uh, boundaries. I had to learn, relearn what they were when I, um, you know, got clean. I um, had no boundaries basically when I was using and I would like try to set very low bar boundaries and even those would get thrown to the wayside. Um, you know, as my using progressed or as the night progressed even or like 10 minutes after I thought it in my head. Um, and it was like really difficult for me to set boundaries at first because I just wanted to please everyone and I was so scared to stand up for myself or so scared to disappoint someone or I don't, I don't know. Like I, I didn't have any sense of boundaries. Um, and I think that like detoxing helped me set some boundaries because it was me creating, um, goals and like timelines and saying like, Hey, I'm going to hold myself accountable once I get to this date, um, you know, to continue on because I was on methadone and it, it was a process to come off of it. Um, and then setting boundaries like my sister, I, I, when I, got clean I moved back home and um I she was using like it was me my parents and my sister and her son and she was using and I had to like learn how to say like what you do is what you do and like what I'm gonna do is what I'm gonna do and it's best for me 
Um, and then like, even with like my counselor, like there were certain things I went through a counselor when I first, um, you know, was coming off of methadone and, um, my first couple months clean and he was a man and I had a lot of, um, trauma and like sex shit in my story. And like, we set boundaries like right away. Like I was like, I might touch on it, but please don't, I don't feel comfortable enough for you for you to dive deeper in there. Cause that's like, it was like some traumatic shit. And, uh, you know, um, like it, it was like for me to work through with, with, I knew I, I had to like set a boundary with him. So I didn't feel weird that I couldn't come back and see him kind of thing. Um, you know, but I don't know, like boundaries helped me to understand what self integrity is. And, um, like it helps me every time I set a boundary and I stuck to it, my integrity grew. And then every time I, I set another boundary and I stuck to it, my integrity grew. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it was like a learning thing that I had to experience. It was like I had to understand what it was, why it was important, and then stick to it. Um, yeah. Word. So, I, yeah, I guess, hmm. Yeah, I don't think I read this. This has been on the uh, docket of questions for a while, and I don't think I read the whole thing through for some reason. Um and I thought it. I thought it was more about the boundary of when someone used, not when my like I myself used. But, uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting concept. That it's a boundary issue between yourself and, huh? I. So I mean, if you look at like a neurological perspective on how this all works, um and you look at habits, like, to be honest, like, so it says, like, in, in, you know, in the example, and our inability to set and keep boundaries is ultimately a self-worth issue. So, I mean, changing boundaries in this way that they're trying to say is, like, it's changing a habit. And one of the things that, you know, I've learned a lot, like, by doing all the different things I do. It's, you know, cause it's not just the fact that I quit doing drugs or I quit drinking or I quit cigarettes. Um, you know, I stopped drinking energy drinks, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, those things aren't always, it doesn't happen right away. And I think one of the thing that things that's really important with that type of a boundary when you're talking about relapse is not like, cause I mean, that's essentially the boundary you're talking about. Um, and honestly, one of the things, and this kind of goes completely off topic, and I've shared about it a few times, I don't love the word relapse. I get why it's a thing. I have relapsed. Um, and I, I think it can be, I think the way that it's phrased in fellowship recovery, it can be very detrimental. Um, and I'm not as sure about AA because I, I don't have as much experience in AA as I do in NA, but I know in NA... A relapse is an excuse to get fucked up. Um, and, <laughs> and like, I, I don't like that. Like, one of, the, one of the beautiful things I've heard shared about in other fellowships, because, you know, it's, it's not just AA, it's not just NA. You know, we have a lot of other people come on from different fellowships. The slip concept is amazing. And I know some people don't subscribe to it, and that's fine. Um, 
but you know the ultimate what is, what is it a slip is just like you fucked up once you know and you and you you went right back in uh, and you didn't you know so we've had people on lose your job no you didn't lose you well but like okay so like let's say let's say like you have a shitty night and you go down to West Baltimore and you're driving around and you're like, I'm going to cop, I'm going to cop, I'm going to cop. And you pick up, you know, and you pick up, right? And you, you fuck up for one night. But the very next day, you're like, that was a mistake. And I'm going to, I'm just going to go right back into, you know, recovery again. Um, that's a slip. And I think when we personify that as like you know you relapsed like you should feel shame you should feel guilt it's like no thank thank you for coming right back um i'm happy you're not using today and i'm not going to treat you any differently i mean the only thing that's different is like let's examine why you did that and how we can make sure that it doesn't happen again um because i i think the issue when you're talking about that boundary and the self-worth is sometimes we can personify that relapse is like you've committed like murder and you've now have this excuse mm-hmm. to get super super fucked up and you're just like have so much guilt and shame because you let all these people down but you know w- we all came in because we're fuck ups like we should expect mm-hmm. people to fuck up and we shouldn't you mm-hmm. know then fuck them up and make them feel bad because of that fuck up um so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of my take on it. Um, and I know it's not really answering like the full question. But uh, yeah, I just think like, you know, if, if you fuck up and you and you have like some self-worth and self like you don't feel like good about yourself because of that, like don't keep fucking doing it, <laughs> you know, like and hopefully <laughs> the people around you can show you the love and care that you need and, you know, not make you feel guilty and feel shame because of it yeah yeah but like i've never, I've never yeah. relapsed when i was super connected to a group or when mm-hmm. i felt really connected to my 12 step i've never relapsed when i felt like i was a part of it's always when i feel like no one's gonna give a shit anyway it's uh yeah it's i've relapsed twice so when i've been like a part of um I mean, you know, it's sometimes people change pretty quickly, right? And I understand that's, that's protecting themselves. But I, from what I learned from those experiences is that, you know, no matter what, those people need help too. Um, like, and just because someone used and if they're calling you and you've set this boundary that like, oh, they're using their, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know, when you hear, when you're on Facebook in, like, three months, you see that they died, it's like, well, maybe you should have answered that call. Um, yeah. But, like, yeah. you know, that's, that's like, the harsh truth of it. Um, because when, you know, when people are like, oh, man, like, you know, I feel I felt so bad. I'm like, well, did you call them? Did you, like, reach out? Like, they were here for a while. Like, why didn't you do anything? Like but you're going to cry about it now. Like, I'm sorry. I don't have yeah, sympathy for you. Like, you know, this is a good, this is a good conversation because I've never 
I mean, like I, like I said earlier, I was introduced to the room, but like I wasn't ready and I didn't understand it. So like, I wouldn't say that that was like a relapse. I would say I just wasn't ready. So when people like go, like if they've had substantial amounts of clean time or they just get a week, a day, can't get a day, whatever it is, like, I just look at it as like, they're not ready. Like, and that's okay. You know, like I can't tell you when it's time. I can't tell you when you're ready because I could want somebody to stop using, but unless they're willing, what, you know, what, what can I do other than love them and receive them when they come back and tell them it's okay and say that they're worthy and that they don't have to live like that if they don't want to, you know? Yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of, like, I, I understand, like, I never heard the slip concept before, um, other than, like, an old-timer um, say something about, like, a slip, what's a, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, like, I didn't, I never thought of that. Yeah, I love it. I love slip. I, like, I love the slip concept. I just think it's, it can help people who relapse to know that they don't have to go balls to the wall, like, shooting dope and yeah. coke and going on like a nine month bender you know it's yeah, like, like throw it all away yeah throw throw because i i mean i don't know you Allie, you and i go to the same meetings like you know how it is like a relapse is like fuck like i relapsed i'm like you you kind of get the gist of how like it is in like around here if you're gonna relapse it's like well you might as well go hard oh yeah yeah you know <laughs> i think that's the that's just that addict mentality though. Like, well, I already, you know, I already let it go. So why not just throw it all away? And then it's like the train, you know, you're on a nonstop train and you're just, before you know it, it's out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe some people, like someone might want to test the waters and say, Hey, maybe I've changed, right? Like maybe I can handle this again. And then they just use once and say, wait, I, you know, I still feel shitty when I use, so let me not do that again. Yeah, I always get snuck up on like like I'll uh, I'll feel like crap and I won't tell anyone, and then next thing I know, I'm kind of pulling away from the group and I'm not opening up to people as much, and then I'm really resisting any fellowship and I'm not I'm not forging lasting connections, and then and that's when I find myself alone, and it's like really no one no one does call when you're that person that shows up to meetings and leaves early and you know isn't fully invested and people aren't really sure what you're all about so it's I think it's not there are people like that all the time right they come in and out and -hmm. you can't tell that so it's not like you call those people and like hey what's it's like you don't even have time to get their number really you know it's always people that are kind of disconnected and and finding ways to to justify like well i don't have anyone else so i guess i gotta turn back to my bottle like i've done that so many freaking times like it's like oh the only person that's ever gonna be here for me is beer it's like or you could talk to people like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is a two-way street yes yes it's uh yeah it's definitely a two-way street i i i guess i i just i think the slip concept should start being integrated into like the like more fellowships um because i I do think it would help people you know to know like just because you fucked up like you don't have to fuck up um but cool all right yeah well uh we are about out of time but uh anch we would like to thank you for coming on share was awesome so woo yay 
Thank you. And congratulations on your almost year. Oh, thank you. You will will have a year by the time this comes out. You will have a year, and that's that's fucking awesome. Um, Where can people find you, by the way, Inch? All right, yeah, so real quick, if anyone, if either of you want to be on the show on uh, Sober During Crisis, you can. Anyone listening to this, um, I do just one-on-one real casual conversations about how people are staying sober during crisis. And you can find, it's, the podcast is called Sober During Crisis. It's at Sober During on Twitter, um, Sober During Crisis on Insta. But my my comedy and all my personal accounts are Bucks Wild. It's B-U-X Wild. I actually have an album on like Spotify and Apple Music, Bucks Wild. Awesome. Um, but you can, my, my comedy's on, on YouTube and stuff if people are interested in that. Uh, I'm interested in your album. Okay. I found you. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Or I talk a lot about you. I, I'm not gonna lie. I made that before I got sober, but there's um I don't talk as about specifically using, but about the struggles with addiction a lot. Um, just a day is a song I would recommend to anybody who's looking to to have a sober song. I don't know what you're looking for, but a Macklemore song, help. like a Macklemore type yeah. song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope. Yeah. Hope. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, again, Ange, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, we appreciate co- you. Of course. And um, thanks for sharing. I would do the whole the whole outro, but you know, David again, David's not here, so I don't know it. He's the one who does it. But I what I it. can say is, you know, check out our Facebook page, our YouTube page, our mm-hmm. Twitter, our Instagram. Um, please join our Patreon and support us. Uh, that would be fucking awesome. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you could also, go. you know, do other stuff too. But visit our webpage. But most importantly, y'all, uh, stay safe and stay clean. <laughs>